Hey guys, Deb here. Welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable. Comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. My guest today is Karen K.B. Berger. Karen is the founder of Queer Education, a website and podcast about improving the quality of healthcare for LGBTQI plus GNC people. Karen is a physician assistant licensed under the National Certification Commission of Physician Assistants, NCCPA, and the Physician Assistant Board of California. Karen's clinical practice includes queer health, sexual health, pre-exposure prophylaxis, post-exposure prophylaxis, HIV care and dermatology. The Queer Medication podcast is a series of interviews with medical experts, mental health professionals, students, advocates, community members and allies that are all passionate about improving the health and well-being of queer people. I highly recommend that you check it out and I'll make sure to post the links in our show notes. As always, I hope that you enjoy our conversation. It's educational yet incredibly fun. But do note that there is some adult language and we do go into some fairly graphic detail. So when you're listening, it's best to pop on those headphones. Enjoy. so much Karen for coming on to uncomfortable I'm excited to have this what I think for me is a very uncomfortable conversation (laughs) so I appreciate you being here thank you for having me I'm very excited to be here awesome so let's let's start off um, with you just kind of explaining a little bit about the work that you do absolutely so my name is Karen Berger I'm a physician assistant Um, I practice in Los Angeles California I work primarily in um, sexually transmitted infections, doing assessment uh, potential for treatment. I also do pre-exposure and post-exposure prophylaxis for HIV and a little bit of HIV care as well. And specifically, I focus on LGBTQI and non-binary populations where I practice. Awesome. How did you get into that work? Just curious. What called you? So yeah, that's a great question. I identify as a, a queer cis female. Um, I'm married to a wonderful woman. And I think I always had um, a, well, I always knew I wanted to pursue medicine in some shape or another, but I also really enjoyed interacting with individuals and doing some social justice work. So once I came out in college, I always kind of incorporated my extracurricular activities with LGBTQ plus groups. Um, And as I went through my medical training, of course, that was time consuming in itself. Mm -hmm. So I kind of put that stuff to the side. And when I got out of school, I originally went into dermatology practice. That was my background prior to schooling. And then I just didn't feel the fire when I was going to work. 
So I started kind of researching, doing a little more investigation and found the clinic where I work at now, which is the LA LGBT Center in Los Angeles, like I said. And I thought to myself, I want to work there. I don't think I ever pictured myself working in an STI or, or STD clinic, um, but, the, but I started there December 2016, and it's been really, really fun and really important work. Awesome. So, um, so that I don't forget, but I do, I will mention this again at the end, we connected because you have a podcast of your own. Do you want to talk a little bit about that before we get into the questions? Absolutely. Yeah. So I started a podcast called Queer Education. And the purpose of the podcast is to basically bridge the gap between the medical community and the LGBTQI and non-binary community so we can improve overall health and mental health outcomes for queer individuals. So the idea came from, I have my full-time job. It's kind of like my little queer bubble. And um, I also go and teach um, at a local PA program where I've actually developed a and uh, a LGBTQI and non-binary didactic curriculum. So the didactic year is when you're basically in class from eight to eight every day. Oh God. Um, yeah, not fun. So, so historically, not fun at all. Um, historically, you know, medical programs, um, medical training programs have kind of lacked in queer health or uh, they either completely disregarded or they essentially place people into kind of these little boxes in a negative way. For example, when we learn about HIV, then we learn about men who have sex with men. And sometimes the verbiage that's used is very outdated. For example, uh, homosexual tendencies instead of referring to anal sex, yeah. um, because those are two very different things. Um, or when we learned about gender dysphoria specifically in our psych and behavioral health module. So kind of always having a negative connotation. So I had my full-time job, which was queer and happy and fun. And then I went into my teaching and it was very clear that many people didn't have any sort of background in queer health. So I saw, I kind of identified a need there and through this concept, just kind of decided to expand further. I don't think I originally thought I would do a podcast. I've learned everything from <laughs> scratch, but I've basically spent the past couple months interviewing individuals, not only in the medical profession, but also in mental health professions, community workers, advocates, anybody who has a hand in improving the health and well-being of queer people. So you can find us on any podcast website um, or, or um, platform. We also have a website queermeducation.com where we have all the transcriptions, all the descriptions of people that we interview, as well as a ton of resources. Awesome. I'll definitely post all the links to that and your social media profiles as well in the show notes. Um, yes. I will say one thing on, I love your Instagram, especially when you had started it and you did the alphabet soup. Mm -hmm. So you were kind of going through and explaining like the LGBTQI plus and what each individual one means and the terminology that's ex acceptable and no longer acceptable. And yeah, I think anyone listening to this should head over to that and, and check it out because that alone is just an education for, for some people and then go on and start listening to the episodes. So yeah, I found, awesome. so I teach many courses. I, I created kind of like a mini curriculum for queer health. And the first lecture in that coursework is introduction to language terminology and, and health disparities. And that 
particular lecture takes over three hours because there's so limited knowledge. I mean, if you were never exposed to it, you don't understand. And then, or you just don't know, it's not a negative thing or, or, um, you know, offensive in any certain way. It's just, there's just no knowledge. So I understand the importance of the alphabet soups for many queer people or queer people in medicine or anyone who's um, interested in LGBTQI anything. It's boring. It is flat out boring. We are looking for more. We are looking for higher level, but Mm -hmm. that's a very small percentage of the population. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. It was definitely educational to me. And I mean, I'm aware of those terms, but I actually, there was a few terms that I wasn't aware of them kind of not really being appropriate yet so you know and things change so it's great to kind of keep up to date with that so thank you for posting awesome. that thank you get into this topic which um as i mentioned is one that i felt quite uncomfortable about having this conversation with partners so we're talking about anal health um I would love to know, I mean, I have tons of questions for you. Hopefully we get through everything. But what I'd love to know, because you had mentioned in the past how when we had our pre-interview, how, you know, talking to people about anal health was something that comes up a lot. And uh, yeah, I just want to know what are the most common questions that you get from your, from your clients, your people? Yeah, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind um, is that not only men who have sex with men are having anal sex. Yeah. So I think, you know, and, and I can only speak really from my experience and being in the medical profession that I think there's a, a huge assumption in that area. So when providers are taking a sexual history and maybe there's a, a presumed heterosexual person in front of them, their assumption is that they're not having anal sex or they're just not asking those questions. So I think when it comes to anal sex and anal health, really common questions are, what do I need to do to protect myself? How do I have a clean experience? Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll come up later, I'm sure. Yes, it will. Um, you know, how to prepare, how do you talk to your partners about having anal sex? I mean, I think for whatever reason, there's, it's, it's a taboo subject and I'm not sure why. Um, but most people do have butts. Um, there are people out here that don't who have cancers or weren't born with one. So that's possible, but you know, there's a large percentage of people having anal sex out there. And I would say those are the most common questions, just very general, very basic 101. Yeah. yeah you know, like I, I kind of think back to high school, right? And firstly, the lack of education. Um, I was raised Catholic, so definitely the education was probably different from you know anyone who kind of went to another school um and I don't even I actually don't think it was even anything that we talked about like I don't remember even that term coming up in conversation I'm pretty sure like I probably read it in some little teen magazine or something you know someone sent in a question to the problem page and that's how you know, that was my education but being um like a straight woman I actually find that every partner I've had has kind of wanted to go there, yet I just felt very uneducated and very then uncomfortable because, again, it wasn't something that had been explained to me. So 
I'm really excited for this conversation. I really yeah. Am. And I also want to say, like, it's not about your sexual orientation or your mm-hmm. gender identity. Identity. It's about the you and your partner and what type of sex you want to have. And yeah. you know, even if you don't have a penis, well, you can go out and buy one, <laughs> and you can sure. strap it right on, and you can have anal <laughs> sex with somebody. So, um, you know, I think like a lot of times historically, when we were taught how to take sexual histories or think about our sexuality it was very black and white Mm -hmm. do you sleep with men women or both and we know that's you know not really applicable um are you um sexually active what does that mean is that oral sex um are you married totally irrelevant question because not everybody who's married is monogamous and just because you're married and you're monogamous doesn't mean that your partner is so it's 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 so much more than just um, those basic questions, just really thinking about sexual health as relative to the person that you're speaking with. Yeah, yeah, regardless of, of gender. And yeah, that's awesome. So if someone had to come to you, they were considering having anal sex for the first time and they really wanted to make sure, firstly, that they were doing it safely, what would you, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah. So, you know, I think the biggest thing is making sure that the person um, is comfortable with the idea, is informed and wants to. So I think sometimes there's one partner who might want to do it and one who might not. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, not everybody enjoys anal sex, but then there's tons of people who do. So I think really being comfortable with the decision and not necessarily feeling pressured from your partner is really important and kind of, um, taking the time to have that conversation with the individual who's in front of you is, is I just think is extremely important. So once we're kind of on the page of, um, I really want to try anal sex, the biggest things is talking a little bit, I would say about risk factors. So mm-hmm. if this is a partner that maybe is a newer partner or, um, a partner who has more than one partner, you have more than one partner, I'd recommend getting tested for, or screened for STI or, mm-hmm. or STD, sexually transmitted infections. Um, you can get anything you can get in the front side, you can get in the back side, and you can also get anything in the throat as well. So um, you should make sure that wherever you're going to get tested does what's called three-point testing. So um, genitals, so sometimes that's a urine, sometimes that's a swab. It depends on where you're at. Um, A throat swab is actually ideal because you can get gonorrhea or chlamydia in the throat. Wow, I didn't know that. Yes. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Um, And then a rectal swab. And even Mm -hmm. if you're not having anal sex, we see a lot of positive rectal swabs because let's face it, sex is messy. Things Mm -hmm. rub on each other. Stuff drips. It moves. It grooves. Tongues go places. I mean, you can get things in your butt even if you don't have anal sex. Wow. So, um, yeah, and a lot of people don't know this. So I would say speaking from my own experience as a, as a cisgender female woman, I've gone to OBGYNs, you know, since I was a teen, and I was never once tested in my rectum. I was never once asked um, to be tested in my throat. Um, yeah, it's and, never been suggested. I mean, no. I've gone for, you know, different testing, you know, uh, STDs and stuff like that, and they have never ever suggested that I get tested in my anus or throat ever. 
Right, exactly. And and the reality is we find pretty high rates of gonorrhea and chlamydia back there. Um, Yeah. And, and, and you're, you know, I think you're more of the majority than the minority that doesn't get those types of tests, but you can always request it from your provider. And if your provider doesn't know how to do it, you might want to think about going somewhere else for your sexual health. So if you have access to an STD clinic, Um, A lot of times the county in which you live will have a testing center and typically most places like that will do three point testing because that's what we do all day, every day. And just to be specific about the rectal swab, a lot of places do what's called self rectal swabs. So they, somebody will, excuse me, guide you on um, and, and educate you on how to actually take the swab and then you go in the restroom and you do it yourself. Um, so it makes it a little less intimidating not everywhere does that so if you're already getting exams sometimes the provider will just do it for you but for anyone who's going to just do general screening um, you can get educated on how to do it yourself and do it yourself and then it's you know one and done basically (laughs) actually curious like now I'm kind of you know I've got the whole thought process going through my head can you can you test for those things like straight from your feces like you know how you can do the poop tests for each pylori or for all of those kind of things like or does it actually have to be a swab from the inside yeah that's a really great question so you're thinking uh, so so feces or poop I like to use poop that's my word of choice not medical at all Um, (laughs) but I, I like that word Um, Yeah, so when you're testing poop for certain bacteria, that's specifically coming from the gastrointestinal tract. Mm -hmm. So from the colon and, for example, like Giardia or Shigella or E. coli, food Mm -hmm. poisoning, those sorts of elements of of bacterial infections typically have different symptoms than gonorrhea chlamydia, and that's specifically doing what's called stool cultures, which is for poop. When you're doing the gonorrhea um, chlamydia test with the swab, you're actually swabbing the rectal tissue. Yeah, so you want to get it, you know, a couple, maybe like a couple inches up and you kind of twist it around a few times. Um, If you think of just a regular cotton swab Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's actually the, the mucosal tissue or the inside lining of the rectum. Awesome. Good to know. This has been like, what, five minutes in? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then a couple of other STIs um, to screen for. Um, Sometimes one of them is um, syphilis. And a lot of people, I think, more specifically, maybe in the straight community, don't really hear about syphilis as much. Um, But syphilis is very much on the rise right now. Um, It affects every single person that's having sex. Um, We do see higher rates in specific populations. For example, men who have sex with men, there are disproportionately higher rates. Um, But just because you don't have any symptoms of syphilis doesn't mean you can't have syphilis. Mm. So um, to get tested for that, you would get a blood test. Um, And then in addition, you would also want to get tested for HIV infection. So the reason why we worry or, or I shouldn't say worry. The reason why we really want to firmly counsel individuals when they're going to engage in anal sex is because anal receptive sex, um, the slang term is bottoming, Mm -hmm. is um, has the highest risk for HIV transmission. So that's why this conversation is incredibly important um, because we want to make sure we give everybody as much information as possible. So new partner, you always want to get tested, you know, shortly before you have sex. 
um, just to make sure that everybody's on the same page. But you can have syphilis in your anus and rectum and everywhere, basically. So, <laughs> yeah, so get tested, folks. Awesome. Definitely. Great information. Yeah. So yeah. let's go back to poop. I won't lie. Poop is like one of my favorite topics. Yes. Ever. Like I'm trying <laughs> to have like a whole episode on let's talk about poop stories. But one of the fears around, you know, having, you know, sex for myself and I'm sure for many other people out there is like, will you come into contact with pieces. Yes. So, I mean, poop is back there, right? So there's certain things that you can do to try to decrease the likelihood of there being an excessive amount of poop. Um, But the reality is if anything's going up into your anus and up into your rectum, there might be some poop contact. So um, there are ways that you can um, try to decrease the uh, likelihood or at least decrease the, the, the amount of poop that's in your colon. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that I, I've talked about with friends, is, medical friends, is um, really encouraging the use of fiber supplementation. So not just getting it through your diet because most of us don't get enough fiber. Yeah. But if you are somebody who is having anal sex, um, and you're concerned for having healthy bowels, bowel movements, you definitely want to um, get a, additional fiber supplementation. You can get it at any vitamin store, um, and it's a once-a-day supplement, and then you know you'll be good to go. And the good thing about that is, one, it makes you regular anyway, so that's great. But two, it also makes your poop a little more compact to the point where it actually kind of like slides right out. <laughs> so it's not as like messy or I know this is so funny it's not as messy or runny or anything it's like the cleanest poop that you can think of and actually it decreases your risks for like hemorrhoids and you know tears and things of that nature so I would definitely suggest incorporating that into your your daily um, supplements I'm not a big supplement person but that's definitely one of those that can really benefit you when it comes Mm -hmm. to anal sex um, some people use different cleaning mechanisms. So I'm, I'm sure you've heard of, you know, so back in the day, some ladies would use douches. Yeah. So we don't ever recommend douching um, if you do have a, a vagina um, or if you were born with a vagina, we don't recommend douching up down there because it actually can totally throw off your whole environment down there and cause a lot of problems. Yeah, exactly. But some people do utilize douches for the backside. Um, you don't want to over douche. So some people are really, really want to be clean. And again, the reality is poop lives back there. So, you know, you don't want to over douche. You can cause, you know, irritation and, and then fissures and all sorts of things that way. But some people do utilize douches. Um, and you can get little over the counter. They're almost kind of like, um, they're like little squeezy bottles. Okay. I can, yeah, I can send you the names of ones. Yeah, that um, would be awesome. But um, yeah, you, you know, we don't really recommend like over-the-counter enemas because sometimes a lot of things are in those and they can cause a lot of irritation back there. And that, okay. that tissue back there is already really thin and really sensitive. So you really want to be careful what you're actually putting up there. Um, 
I am I I've in the past for a complete different reason I've gone to like a colon hydrotherapist so kind of emptied everything out that way more for digestive issues that's probably a very expensive option (laughs) yeah yeah that and and I'm not against that but like you can't do that all the time and then again sometimes like people are a little more sensitive to certain things so depending on what they're utilizing at those spaces um, can be potentially irritating in that area. So you just want to be a little bit careful with what you're putting up there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, of course you can utilize like baby wipes and things like that mm-hmm. from the outside, but a lot of it really is like dietary um, uh, regulation, like really maintaining like a high fiber diet will really help in a lot of different ways, but specifically kind of keeping things flowing cleanly. Yeah, which you want to do anyway, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Now you did mention like tears. Does that happen often? And if so, is there a way to avoid that? Yeah. So I mean, it's like anything else. The first time, like you know, if you don't practice, then you're not going to get good at something, right? Yeah. So I think um, probably the first few times that you do engage in anal sex, you might feel uncomfortable, you might feel tense, um, and those are all not great things uh, when you're having anal sex, right? So um, one thing is you really want to make sure that you're not, um, we call it bearing down or, or pushing really hard. So that's another thing um, that we see a lot from people pooping is that if they're constipated or their bowels aren't normal, they'll push really hard and that can cause things like hemorrhoids to form, yeah. um, that pressure, right? So if you're pushing really hard, it's not that anal sex specifically causes hemorrhoids, but the pressure of pushing sometimes can. Mm-hmm. So I think tears are a little um, challenging. So I think, you know, there is a kind of a, a, a curve there, right? So the area is fairly fairly um, tight. So it does depend on the partner and what's going in there. So if it is a penis, then, you know, the larger the penis or the wider the penis, you know, there might be some, some higher propensity to tear. Lubricants are definitely recommended. Um, Condoms are recommended for sure um, to decrease risk of infection. And then um, and then if you're using any sort of toys or dildos, again, like you can always, that you can kind of bridge a little bit easier. Yeah. If you want to start smaller and then work your way up, that's fine. But really like the more you do it, you know, the looser the skin will get on the outside and the more relaxed you'll be as well to enjoy the process. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Cause it's not something that, you know, is relaxing even to think about for myself yeah. <laughs> again. So yeah, it's like that tensing up, yeah. but you're actually, just is the concern around all this stuff so it's great they were kind of delving into it and hope that it puts people's minds at ease if this is something that they want to try another thing is bleeding does that happen often and is it normal or common so I, I wouldn't say it's common. Um, you know, bleeding can happen for many different reasons. So the, the question, is it normal, is kind of um, a hard question to answer. So the most common, one of the most common causes of just general anal bleeding is external hemorrhoids. So hemorrhoids are essentially, we have veins, they're no, actually, hemorrhoids are generally normal parts of our anatomy, but we have little vessels 
everywhere, but specifically back there. And when we push really hard when we poo or we're lifting weights and we're putting a lot of pressure, those veins are kind of pliable. So what they'll do is dilate or widen and then they'll cause a little pocket called a hemorrhoid back there. Um, and, and, you know, fiber will help with all of that because it will decrease your time on the toilet, pushing, etc. So um, if you do have a hemorrhoid and then you're having anal sex, like there's a potential for bleeding there. Mm. Um, you know, that's where the whole like having a discussion with your partner about testing, making sure you're using condoms, um, because, you know, if there is a tear there, you want to be careful about infections and yeah. uh, specifically HIV transmission. Um, so, and then other uh, causes of bleeding. So just general trauma. We use the word trauma in medicine to mean anything that shouldn't be happening, basically. That's yeah. a little physical, right? So, um, you know, sex can be aggressive sometimes. So if you have aggressive anal sex, well, yeah, you can bleed. Yeah. You know, I would say red flags are bleeding that's not stopping. Okay. Um, bright red blood that's not stopping. Um, you know, those are definitely more warning signs. Um, but a little bit of bleeding afterwards that goes away, um, most likely would be a hemorrhoid, but anything that you're concerned about, you definitely want to follow up with a provider and get assessed. Cool. Awesome. So I'm going to bring it back to poop. Yay. (laughs) Again, and I've heard stories, right? And this is how a lot of these fears come around is because you hear people's awful, you know, sex stories gone wrong and stuff like that. And kind of someone then, yeah, just pooping and making a mess. I know you've kind of talked to how we can prevent that through, you know, fiber in our diet and cleaning and, and such. But do you ever have someone kind of come to you with the concerns that like it's happening a lot if they're having a lot of anal sex does it increase the chances of like that happening a lot or having problems with pooping in general and from day to day or is there ways to kind of keep things nice and tight and yeah that you know uh, bowel movements are are kind of as normal as they can be Yeah, I mean, I think that um, people that are having a lot of anal sex and are are specifically bottoming have a pretty good regimen going on. So definitely diet, fiber, you know, if you know you're going to like a sex party or you're going out that weekend, some people might not eat as much, you know, the day before. Um, But I wouldn't suggest like laxatives. I know there, there's a bit of an issue of that sometimes, mm. but that's not recommended okay. um, when, when not necessary. Um, really just maintaining like a, a balanced diet, fiber supplementation. You know, again, you can do, you know, any sort of douching. I think that's, that's completely appropriate as long as it's within reason Yeah, yeah. because <laughs> um, you don't want to cause irritation. And some people do that as well and cause burning. And then they think they have an STD and they Ooh. don't. Um, you know, but really, I think, I think the biggest thing is you have to let it go of that a little bit because that's where poop comes out. Um, not to say that you can't prevent a lot of poop, but, um, or, or any poop, but the reality is that that's, you have to let go of that. You have to be comfortable with that and you have to be comfortable enough with your partner to understand that that's a possibility. And I think one thing that happens sometimes is there's like the shame factor, um, in specific communities around anal sex. And I think one of them is that, you know, 
if poop happens. Now, I know in some communities, if poop happens, then there might be some talk on the street about how you didn't clean yourself and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I think most people are pretty aware. Um, but we don't want to be hyper aware because then, then you're just causing more harm than good down there. And that's, yeah. that's not uh, going to make your experience pleasant at all. Yeah. Yeah. You just won't enjoy it. Yeah. What about the use of butt plugs? <laughs> you know, I don't know as much about butt plugs. Okay. I'm not going to lie. Um, t- tell me more about your question. Just more like I've seen them in sex stores, not really understood the reason behind them. Like, is it something to kind of, if you want to take part in anal sex and you haven't yet, is it something that kind of helps your your anus get used to the feeling? Or is it... I don't know. Like it, that's what I thought they were for, but I'm actually not all that sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess the question is like, are there ways that you can potentially dilate the anal tissue? I think yeah. yes. Um, I wouldn't keep anything in for too long because as we know, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes sex typically doesn't last that long. So you don't want to keep the dilator in that long. <laughs> um, you got right? Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think that could be utilized to kind of loosen up the skin um, mm-hmm. or really the, the muscle there and then loosen up the um, you, basically, <laughs> like yeah. if you're really tense and really nervous. I mean, all that tense energy is just going to have a, a not so good effect on the experience because yeah. it's already a pretty tight area. Yeah, it really is. Now, do you have any resources that you share with people who are maybe um, interested in anal sex and or um, just want kind of more resources on how to stay healthy? Yeah, I mean, I think um, so my I really like a, a sexual health website called ashasexualhealth.org and that's A-S-H-A sexual health um, it is, it stands for the American Sexual Health Association, okay. and it has a ton of great information about STDs, um, anal sex, prevention, um, ways to be comfortable, places to test. Sometimes it's hard to have those conversations with your primary care, and I totally understand that. So I, I usually refer patients to that particular site. Um, also, the CDC, so Center for Disease Control, mm-hmm. if you have any questions about anything, you know, public health related, just go to cdc.gov. Um, don't go to Google. Don't go to, you know, I think you Cosmo, can go. Cosmopolitan yeah. Magazine. Yeah, I mean, I think people, and, and I love that people look things up. Like, I think yeah. it's really great because then we're able to have conversations versus me just telling somebody what should happen. Like, it's really nice that people are, have access typically to look things up on the internet, um, but don't get carried away, right? Like we want to have good resources. So I always recommend those two sites just for general um, sex education, but they have a ton of good information about anal health. I would say that a lot of the information and the studies out there are on men who have sex with men. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
you can you if you are having anal sex those are some great resources for you as well if you don't identify in that sexual orientation so a lot of the studies are based on specific quote practices but a lot of them have are are specified men who have sex with men or men who have sex with men and women so you know just to be clear and and i don't necessarily endorse that but that is the reality of of studies Mm -hmm. that that we're in right now about uh, about anal health yeah, hopefully that will change soon, right? Do you think things are changing in that, in the medical field, or is there still there's still a lot of work to be done? I'm assuming from the look on your face. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I think that historically the medical field is cons- very conservative in many ways, and I think that it hasn't necessarily progress the education hasn't necessarily progressed as fast as technology Mm so I think there's a ways to go in terms of the education now some medical program medical training programs are ahead of the game some are completely on the other side and then there's kind of this middle I would say the majority is probably lagging behind um you know particularly in my um program when we learned about HIV the term homosexual tendencies was utilized this was about six years ago I recently spoke to a student who told me that that happened in their class Um, it's 2019 it's crazy um, because the reality is one out of every five new diagnosis diagnoses for HIV are cisgender females and women so you know where's that education are OBGYNs talking about HIV with their patients? Are they assuming that just because they have heterosexual sex that they're not at risk? You know, for me, anybody who's having condomless sex with a partner or more than one partner is potentially at risk for HIV. So, um, you know, don't let the the stigma and the um, overall expression of this via social media and politics skew your perception of sexual health. Awesome. Well, I am really glad that there's people like you in the world that is hoping to change, you know, the medical field and make it more progressive and more, you know, approachable too. So thank you for all of the work. Oh yeah, no problem. I do want to mention one thing we didn't really talk about is rimming. Um, Yeah. yeah, So um, rimming also known as licking butts. Um, So again, that anybody with a a tongue and a butt, (laughs) it could happen. Right. And that's a really, really common thing. And I think this is just my opinion, but very underreported in um, heterosexual situations. Um, I actually didn't even know that it was a thing until I watched an episode of that TV show Girls. I don't know if you've ever seen it uh, with Lena Dunham. And uh, yeah, I was like, whoa, that's a thing that people do. Holy crap. Okay. I mean, cool, but why? No idea. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it's never talked about. And, um, you know, with rimming in terms of protecting yourself, so you can get an STD from rimming someone or getting rimmed, meaning gonorrhea and chlamydia is definitely transmitted that way. So that's a question that comes up. Well, I haven't had any anal sex. How do I have chlamydia in my butt? Oh, have anybody rimmed you? Yes. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Um, 
and syphilis can be the same way. HIV, no, um, unless there's an extenuating circumstance like a dental surgery or bleeding gums with a sore, something really outrageous, but there's been zero reports um, from rimming and oral sex specifically. Um, so just to let you know that, but yeah, so, so you can use a barrier like a dental dam um, so a dental dam sometimes is utilized for oral sex um, on vaginas. It's essentially kind of like a, it's just like a barrier. Some people use saran wrap. It's just like a safe thing to put as a barrier for, for oral sex um, instead of utilizing a condom. So uh, more typically we see that um, with cisgender females with vaginas. Hmm. Um, but you can use that for rimming as well to decrease the risk of transmission. Um, but yes, we, the rimming happens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely a big, I'm like, well, moment for me when I was like, so, it's like so yeah. obvious. But yeah, no, this has been awesome. Definitely incredibly educational for myself. Um, so yeah, again, thank you for you know, having this conversation, I know this is part of your job. So this isn't uncomfortable for you, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. It's weird dinner conversation. And, or I guess it's normal for us at home. But when you go out with friends, it's a little awkward. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> not for me. Yeah. For them. I know. Well, I mean, again, I say this in every episode, but this is kind of the reason I do this podcast is partially for my own education and just to find about you know out about these kind of things and then other people's experiences around whatever it is that we're discussing in that particular episode so this has been great I highly recommend your podcast thank you I'll make sure to share links to that and your social media and anything else that we've kind of referenced any websites that we've referenced any last thoughts before we wrap up yeah, I think just be proud of who you are. Um, be honest with your providers um, because the more information, the better they can service you. And if you don't have a good response and you don't like the person you're seeing and you have access to, go somewhere else because yeah. you have that right. Definitely. People forget that, right? Yeah. So, yeah, wise words. Thank you so much, Karen. This has been fabulous and uh yeah i'm excited to listen to keep listening to your podcast yes thank you so much and we only scratched the surface so uh feel free to send me any questions anytime awesome <laughs> maybe we'll do a part two like a deeper dive a deeper dive into the anus exactly i was thinking about fisting i was like we didn't even talk about that God, I or what or any of the fun stuff <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely do a part two i'm like hang on i just need to grasp this part first of it once again that was awesome Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. If you're anything like me, then you learned a hell of a lot about anal health. Please do check out Karen's podcast, Queer Meducation. That's M-E-D-U-C-A-T-I-O-N. You can subscribe over on Apple Podcasts and most other podcast players. You can also find out more or connect with Karen over at queermeducation.com and follow her over on Instagram and Twitter at queermeducation. Again, I'll post all of those links in our show notes. 
If you enjoyed our conversation, then feel free to let us know in the comments section over on our website, uncomfortable.blog, or on any of our social media channels. We're on Facebook and Instagram at uncomfortable.blog and Twitter at uncomfy underscore podcast. Now you can support our podcast by signing up to be a patron and pledging a small $5 per month so that we can keep on running. For more information, visit uncomfortable.blog forward slash donate. Thanks again for listening, guys. Now go forth and get uncomfortable.